You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Uh, we're in a series entitled Reshape, and man, I'm excited about what God has been doing, excited about uh, our 90-day challenge that we had talked about last week, excited this week. They actually poured concrete next door, so we're actually getting some footers in, and yeah, so our prayers for some dry uh, uh, weather has been answered, and God is, God is good. And so uh, we're kind of reversing the order of a typical service, too. I'm going to preach first, and then after uh, preaching, uh, we're going to respond with giving, respond in music and that kind of thing. It's good to switch it up every now and then. And so um, it's good to see you guys. Um, If you've got your Bibles, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Um, As you're turning there, you know, we all value different things in life. And so what you value uh, might not be what I value. And we all are just kind of different on that. Some people value uh, nice jewelry, you know, and so they like to spend their money on necklaces and, you know, bracelets and rings and that kind of stuff. I, I, I don't really need any bling. I'm, I'm not a jewelry kind of guy. And so uh, that's okay if you are. I'm, I'm just not. We value different things. Some people value boats. You know, you want to, you got to, you love the boat. You got to get on the boat. And so you invest in that. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a boat guy right now. And so I don't really value that right now. What I do value is I value having friends that have boats, right? And so <laughs> I don't have to pay for it, but I get to go a couple of times a year and that's a good thing. And some people value really expensive cars, and that's great if that's your thing, but, but I just don't really value that. You know, you know, I really value things like good toilet paper, right? <laughs> don't go cheap on toilet paper. That's just one thing you don't want to go cheap on. I, I, I value if you borrow something of mine and you take it, put it back where you found it right? I mean, if you're a parent in the room, you uh, have that conversation with your kids. Like if you're going to take the remote, put it back in the spot, you know, or whatever it is, uh, whatever is, 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 is value, you know, valuable to you is, is, is great. You know, we all have different uh, sets of, of, of values when it comes to things and stuff. And, you know, when uh, you were a kid, maybe when you were 16, uh, back in the day when you didn't just get a car, like seems like today, you're 16 and everybody just expects a car. I'm 16, dad, give me a car, right? Back in the day, back in my day, right? We didn't just get a car at 16. <laughs> we, you know, we had to borrow dad's car. And so when dad, you know, gave me the keys to the car, how much of that car did he expect me to take care of? Part of it, a little bit of it? Of course not. Yeah, he expect me to take care of all of it. Why? Because dad valued getting his car back the way that he gave it, right? He, he had a value. If I let you borrow something, you take care of it and you bring it all back and you take care of the whole thing. Now, I've got three daughters. One day they, they may get married. And, and uh, when that young man comes and uh, asks for my daughter's hand, how much of my daughter am I going to expect him to take care of? All of her, not part of her or some of her. I want him to value, respect, and, and love all of her, right? Well, in the same way, God values various things, right? We see in the word what is valuable to him. And one of the things that he values is uh, good stewardship. And so when God gives us this life, he gives us life, he gives us breath, he gives us salvation, he gives us uh, talents and skills, he gives us time, he gives us money. He doesn't expect us to take care of some of it. He expects us to take care of all of it. And God values good stewardship. And so we've been in this series that we've uh, entitled Reshape. And the prayer and the hope is that God would reshape our heart. He would reshape our attitude. He would reshape our thinking as it relates to our money. 
And last week, I talked about how we must prioritize our giving and prioritize our spending. And, 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 and so what that looks like practically is, is 10% goes to God. The first 10% is dedicated to God, at least. We want to grow in that, but at least that. And then 10% goes to ourselves. And so we're saving 10% uh, and, and, and we're investing that or we're saving that in savings, whatever. And then we're living off of 80 and then uh, to the degree that we are able to, we want to automate those payments and automate that giving. If we are giving online and we automate that uh, from a weekly or monthly standpoint, we remove the temptation to, to not do what we know we should do with our resources. And so that is helpful. It's helpful for our church to know, you know what, what our monthly and, and, and weekly income is as, as, as we seek to steward that. And so, so we talked about what that prioritization looks like. And then I said that we're, we're going to close the series today with the 90-day challenge. And the 90-day challenge is this. We're going to commit to give for 90 days. And at the end of that 90 days, if we don't feel like God has provided for us and blessed us, then the church is promising to, to give that back to you. You can go at uh, to foothillschurch.com slash give and see the terms of the 90-day challenge more specifically. But, but if you're not a Christian today, we're not asking you to do this. If, if you don't attend Foothills Church and you're just kind of visiting with a friend or whatever, we're not asking you, of course, to do this. But what I would tell you to do is go back to that church and commit and give to them. And so when we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 today, what we see, just a little context we see that Paul is writing to the church in a city called Corinth. And in this city, um, they had promised to give and collect a, a donation to give to the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem was experiencing severe persecution and they were extreme uh, poverty. And so Paul's like, we need to take up a collection to give to the Jerusalem church. And so in 1 Corinthians, he talks about this gift. And evidently the, the, the church in Corinth said, yeah, we're going to do it. But then, however long it's been, we don't know how, you know, if it's been a year or a year or less, probably, but we're not sure how long. But they hadn't come through on the promise. And so Paul, again, addresses their giving and their generosity in chapter 8. And so my hope today, as we look at this passage, is that we will see what it looks like to become and to live practically as a grace giver. So if you have your Bibles today, I always underline words and circle words that I think are valuable or important to understand the concept. And so there's a word we're going to see over and over again. If you have your Bible, circle the word grace, because we're going to see that it, it, it's a requirement. We, we need God's grace in order for us to be graciously generous in this life. And so let's look at verse 1 of chapter 8. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. And so here we go, the grace of God. What has the grace of God done? It says that the grace of God has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means of their own accord. So the grace of God has been given to these uh, churches in Macedonia. And how the grace of God is evident in their life is that despite the fact that they are experiencing persecution, despite, uh, despite the fact that they are experiencing severe poverty, it overflowed in them a wealth of generosity to give and to be a part of this donation for the church in Jerusalem. It has overflowed in a wealth of generosity. 
for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means. So essentially what he's saying is they didn't just give, they gave beyond what looked like I thought they should be giving. So they gave over and above what looked logical as far as generosity and what they could give of their own accord, which means it was all on them. They weren't guilted into it. They weren't looking at it as a, as a legalistic offering or gift that they had to do, but, but that they, on their own accord, they wanted to be involved in this gift. In fact, verse four, it says, begging us earnestly for the favor. So that what he's saying here is that the churches in Macedonia were begging to be a part of the offering. They weren't trying to get out of it. They weren't trying to ignore it. They were begging to be a part of it because they, they essentially weren't going to be. But they said, hey, look, we're begging for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Verse 5, and this was not what we expected. Not, not as we expected. Paul says, hey, we didn't expect this. We didn't think they were going to give because we thought they were just too poor to give. And then by the will of God to us, verse six, accordingly, <clears throat> we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. So again, the act of giving is an act of God's grace in our life. Verse seven, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So, how do we become a grace giver? What are we seeing here in this chapter? Let me, let me start by saying that you and I must develop as grace givers. So we're gonna, I'm going to show a diagram this morning. It's going to help us see how we can practically put some hands and feet to the idea of becoming a grace giver. And he says here in verse 7, just as you excel in everything, in other words, just as you develop in everything, as you develop your faith, in other words, you grow deeper in your faith, you grow in your faith, just like you grow in your speech or you develop your speech. In other words, you're learning how to communicate the gospel in a better way. You're learning how to share your testimony. You're learning how to speak kindly to your spouse. You're learning how to show respect with your words. Just as you grow in your speech, he wants us to grow in our giving. Just as you grow in your knowledge, he says. So we're going we're gonna to grow in our knowledge and learn more about the Scripture or the Word of God. We're going to grow in earnestness, and we're going to grow in love. He says, see to it that you excel in this act of grace also. What is this act of grace? Well, the act of grace was the fact that the churches in Macedonia were giving generously above and beyond what looked like they could give, and, and, and out of their poverty, they were generous. And so he calls us to grow and develop just like they had grown and developed as a grace giver. Now, how do we do that? And so our little man back here uh, shows us we're going to develop into a grace giver. And so the first step or the first concept is found in this next passage of Scripture. Let's look at verses 8 and following. He says, I say this not as a command. In other words, he's not saying that thus says the Lord like an Old Testament prophet. He, he, he's not saying that Jesus spoke to him specifically and said, command the church to give to the Jerusalem church, as if that's a command for us today, that we've got to give to the Jerusalem church every year or something like that. He says, no, it's not that kind of command. But he says, I want you to do this to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So he says, I want you to prove that you love God and that you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're going to prove that by actually giving generously. And then he says in verse 9, For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. So at the heart of the the matter here, if we're going to develop into a grace giver, our heart must beat for the gospel. So we, we, we look at this diagram and we say, okay, my heart is beating for the gospel. We see that Jesus left his riches in heaven, living in heaven with his eternal glory, and he leaves heaven and he comes to live on this creation amongst us sinners And so he leaves his riches and he becomes poor so that in our poverty, we are poor in, in, we are poor in the sense that we cannot earn our salvation. We are separated from God. We are enemies of God. But because of his coming and and, and living in poverty and sacrificing himself on the cross for our sins, God's righteousness and God's love is demonstrated in the cross. God's righteousness and justice is demonstrated because sin must be punished. And on the cross, Jesus is taking your punishment. He's taking my punishment. And we're also seeing God's love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ is dying for us. So in the cross, we're seeing the gospel. We are seeing that God loves us so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself and he's sacrificing his son. He's giving up his riches and becoming poor for you and for me. And so he says, in the same way, you and I, We've got to understand this gospel message, this, this truth, this, this good news that, that Christ died for sinners just like me, just like you. And it's through Jesus that we have forgiveness of sin, that we have a relationship with God, that we have hope and purpose in life and an eternal home in heaven. Without him, we are broken. Without him, we are lost. Without him, we are in a cycle of sin that we will never overcome. We are desperate and destitute and on our way to an eternity in hell. So at the heart of a grace giver is a love for the gospel. Look, if you don't care about the lost students in this community, if you don't care that they are living in sin and brokenness today, if you don't care that there are children in this city who are far from God, if you don't care that there are moms and dads all around this city that are broken and without hope and they are empty today, if you don't care about those people and care about sharing the gospel with them, then you will never become a grace giver. If your heart does not beat for the gospel, if you don't have a love for the gospel, you will never be a consistent giver. You might throw some money here and throw some money there, but you will never be what the scripture would call a good steward of your resources. It starts with a love for the gospel. It's the hope of the world. Jesus Christ is the hope of the world, and without him, we're lost. The next step, this is really kind of the hands and feet of, of, of this concept of becoming a grace giver. And the, 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 the first hand there, after we have a heart that is beating for the gospel, is, is we make a commitment to Christ. And so this is the, the head level knowledge here. We, we make a commitment. It's this idea that, okay, my heart's beating for the gospel, so I'm going to make a logical commitment. We're going to do this. Boom, we're going to be givers. In verse 5, it says that they gave themselves first to the Lord. So they gave themselves first to the Lord. Their heart is beating for the gospel. They're giving themselves to the Lord. And so they are making a commitment that we are going to do this. Now, in 1 Corinthians, they made the commitment. Paul writes to him again and says, hey, you started this. You need to finish it. So they hadn't come through on their commitment yet. And so that's why he's addressing it here. And I think we can all relate to that, can't we? 
You've made a commitment. You've said you're going to do something, and then for whatever reasons, you just, you just didn't. You didn't give. You didn't go. You, you weren't a part of what you said you were going to do, and, and that's frustrating, you know, in our life when, when that happens. And so, so the, the reality is, okay, after, after we are understanding the gospel, our heart is beating for the gospel, we've got to make a head-level commitment to trust Christ with our resources, now, in 1 Corinthians 16, this is Paul talking about this offering, this gift. And, and he says in verse 1, he says, Now, about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. And on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. So Paul is, is he's really clear here. On the first day of the week, I want you to come and to give. And, and, and throughout the week, I want you to continue to set aside a sum of money. And then when we meet on Sunday, I want you to give this. this so, so this is the very practical hands and feet of grace giving. And so the first hand here is just a strategy. So we've got to understand that there's a strategy that's involved in, in, in this process. We, we don't just show up and give out of emotion. We don't just show and give up whatever, you know, is in our wallet and just kind of give in that manner. No, we, we come up with a plan. We're, we're smart about this. We develop a strategy. We understand that Paul says, okay, on the first day of the week, set aside some money and come and give it. So the idea for you and I is, is it's really easy to manipulate emotions, isn't it? I mean, we could show videos every week about poor people in whatever country and flies in their eyes, and then we could all cry and then give whatever's in our wallet. But, but that's all well and good. But, but I think biblically and, and, and good, solid financial stewardship is this idea that we're not just giving out of emotion. We're giving out of a heart for the gospel. We're being intentional about it. We're going to come up with a plan. We're going to strategize. Okay, here's this bill and this bill. Here's this debt and that debt. I'm figuring out how to attack that debt as I am giving here. I'm saving here. And there's a strategy behind it. So, when it comes to a strategy, last week I gave you a pretty clear plan. 10% to God, 10% to yourself, live off 80. People say, I can't do it. Can't live off 80. The reality is we can, but it requires the next step, which is sacrifice. We have to be willing as a grace giver to sacrifice. In verse 2, it says that this Macedonian church is giving out of a severe test of affliction, and they were giving out of extreme poverty. And out of that poverty and out of that affliction overflowed within them a wealth of generosity. Even though they were poor, even though they were already struggling, even though it didn't look like they even had the capacity to give, they gave over and beyond their means. How could they have done that? Well, they had to make a sacrificial gift. In America, we don't really know what sacrifice often feels like or looks like. We think a sacrifice is, okay, you know, and we're not going to have, you know, the, the best cell phone. We're going to get the average cell phone. And man, whew, we got, man, that's a huge sacrifice, dude. That was great, you know? And so our, we're just kind of weak in that area. I'll never forget going to uh, South Africa for the first time. Uh, I was going there on a mission trip, and I went to a place that is like one of the poorest places in the world. It's, it's, it's a famous slum called Soweto. And so when you see things on TV trying to raise money uh, back in the day, back in the 90s especially, that, that was the slum that they were in. It's a massive slum. And, and, and people are living in utter poverty. It, it, it's just terrible. And so I went there and experienced that level of poverty, and it changed. You. It fundamentally changes your attitude in your heart as it relates to materialism. 
Um, fast forward, and I went to uh, uh, Haiti uh, several years ago for the first time, and Haiti's like a whole nother level of poverty in and of itself. Like in, in South Africa, there are really rich people in some affluent areas, and then there's also the slums. But in Haiti, it's pretty much all slums. It's pretty much all poverty. And so um, I'll never forget when you go there, uh, there's, the, there's not fast food places and restaurants and stuff in Haiti. And so you, you basically pack in whatever lunch you're going to eat that day. And so, you know, you, that, that consists of granola bars and protein bars and crackers and that kind of stuff. And so every morning we would load up our backpacks with what we were going to eat that day and off we would go. And uh, so doing ministry, it was time for lunch. So I'm sitting down, I'm eating a pack of crackers for lunch. And, and this little eight-year-old boy, uh, it kind of sidles up beside me, you know, and it's just kind of like, hey, man. And he's like, can't speak English. And I could tell he's eyeballing my crackers, you know. So, so here's my last cracker. And I'm like, you want it? And he was like, yeah. So I gave it to him. Here's what he does. He takes the cracker he runs down the alley, and about four other kids swarm him. And I'm assuming probably a sibling, some, some little girls, some, some other little boys. So, so the, what he does next, he, he takes this little cracker, and he breaks it up into five different pieces, and he shares it with all four of his siblings. And so they each had a little nibble, and it broke my heart. It broke my heart because of my experience. I mean, in America— if you have a, a, a hungry eight-year-old boy and you bust out and give him one cracker, what's the first thing he's going to do? Where's the, where's the rest? <laughs> give me more. <laughs> I want gluten-free. I want, I want the wheat crackers. I don't like that kind of cheese. I want a different kind of cheese, you know? He's just gonna, right? And, 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 and we, don't know what, we, we don't know what real sacrifice looks like. I, I, have you ever experienced that level of poverty and then even in that poverty, been able to give out of that. I mean, most of us haven't. In my life, I've never ex experienced uh, extreme poverty. I've, I've been poor from time to time. I mean, when I first got married to uh, Michael, we moved to Louisville, and, and we were broke, man. We were broke. Like, we were living off her teaching salary at that time at a little Christian school, $21,000. I was making a little bit of money here and there uh, doing various things. And, 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 and the reality is it was just really, really difficult. We had a tiny, tiny apartment, right? Uh, we, we never went out to eat. We, we never even thought about going on a vacation or going somewhere, right? I mean, they're, they're just things that you don't, we never went to see movies. We, we didn't have cable. Like, we, we just didn't have that kind of thing. But we always made the commitment that we were going to give 10% to God's church. Sure, we could have gone on vacation. We could have gone and done this. We could have experienced this had we not been faithful in giving. But we were committed to the sacrifice of pleasing God with our stewardship of our resources, and so we gave. Now, fast forward, we had a couple of kids, three kids, turned into four kids, and, you know, I finally get a job, you know, get, get a decent salary, and, but, but now I've got to have more space and, and uh, in, in the house, more mouths to feed and all this kind of stuff. My wife decided to stay home with the kids, and so we're living off one income, and we went almost an entire year with one car. And all throughout that time, we're faithfully giving to God's church, faithfully giving, not even a question. We're not even thinking about it. Never took our family on a vacation. In fact, it was like 14 years into our family that, that I ever paid for my own family to go on vacation. I'm not asking you to say, poor guy. What I'm saying is I've not experienced extreme poverty, but I know what, it's, what it feels like to be broke. But I also know the joy of out of my brokenness, blessing the Lord with what he's given to me. And there hasn't, a, there hasn't been a single day that's ever gone by my life where he's not provided 
where he's not t- taking care of, of whatever bill or whatever situation that we have. And so there's a level of stress that melts away from your heart when you make a commitment and you say, this is what I'm doing no matter what happens and I'm gonna sacrifice that. And I'm gonna sacrifice some luxuries and I'm gonna sacrifice some, some trips or some you know, nice things in my life because I want to give and, and I want to be faithful in my giving. It's going to require sacrifice. Well, the next step is that it's a proportional gift. So starts in our heart, we make a head level commitment and then we move into a strategy. We know it's gonna require sacrifice. And then we also know from scripture that it's gonna be proportional. In other words, it's going to be a percentage. He says in verse 12 here, according to what a person has. Look at it again. Actually, let's start in verse 11. He says, so now finish doing it is well so that your readiness and desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so it's a proportional gift. God's not saying that everybody in the room should give, you know, a million dollars this year. Thankfully, most of us couldn't do that. But what he does say is out of what God has given to you, you should proportionally be giving to God's church. So if you have been given a lot of money, then that, that should reflect that gift. If, if, if you're like me, when we first got married, we didn't have a lot, but we were faithfully giving out of what the Lord was blessing us with at that time. Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. See, the reality is when everybody is giving generously their portion, then, then, then together we are in a fair way supporting the work and the ministry of God. The problem is the Christian church in America, most Christians are, are, are not giving their fair proportion. Um, in fact, on average, statistically, George Bonner says that Christians give 2% to their church of their income. It's an issue. Um, in our church, we did a series last year uh, on giving and stewardship. We did the 90-day challenge, and, and um, we discovered, we, okay, this is how many giving units we have. This is what uh, giving looks like. And, and we, we figured that 30% of the people that were coming to our church, giving units or family units, uh, were giving to our church, which meant that 70% of the people that were coming were not giving faithfully to the church. And so obviously it's out of proportion, right? There's only, if, if 30% of the people are, are giving the money, I mean, then our ministries and, and what we can do is reflected in that. But just think of what it would look like if 100% of us gave something and committed to give something on a regular basis how many more pastors could we hire to lead different ministries? And, and, and how many churches could we start? And, 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 and you know, how, how much more could we do in children's ministry and student ministry if, if everybody was doing their fair part? I mean, we, we go to the restaurant in a minute, you know, to, to eat. And at the end of your, your, your feeding frenzy, uh, that server is going to bring you a little black book. And in that black book is your bill, Right. If you get up and you walk out and you don't pay for that bill, you're going to get in trouble, right? It's going to get you in some, 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 some heat, right? 
Well, in the same way, man, I believe the fairness of the word of God and stewardship is, is like where you're fed is, is where you should be giving of your resources. And so if you're attending our church, if you're a partner at our church, then, then I would encourage you to, to provide resources for where your family is getting fed. Like your kids are enjoying the ministries here. Your students are enjoying this. You're getting fed on Sundays. You're enjoying this facility. You're going to enjoy the next facility. Then, then, then strategically, what does your sacrificial gift look like? Now, the good news is after that series last year, a lot of people decided to give. And, and so the 90-day challenge was helpful in that sense. And so we did the, the statistics this past week, and we came to find out that 35% of our people are now giving to our church. And so on one hand, woohoo! And on the other hand, dang it, we haven't quite reached the level that we need to be at. And, and, and so it's a proportional gift that I think the Lord would have us to consider today. In 2 Corinthians 8, 3, he says, they gave according to their means. Now, finally, I want to go back to 1 Corinthians 16 and, and, and read that verse again. He says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. Okay, what, what, did, what did he tell them to do? On the first day of the week, set aside money. So on the first day of the week. And so it's, it's not like, hey, think about it every now and then. No, every week, think about it. Every week, set aside a sum of money. And so the final little step here is that it's a consistent gift. So there's consistency to our grace giving. It starts with a heart for the gospel. It moves to our head. We make a commitment. Then we make a strategy. It's a sacrificial gift. It's proportional. And then we give consistent, consistently. And so it's a full, like, on hands and feet, practically how we are walking out our faith. Now, Jesus said, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to be. Now, you don't look at my life and say, oh, Trent, he's so spiritual. He's so super spiritual. He preaches. He reads the Bible. He's so spiritual. No, don't, don't judge my commitment to the gospel based on how I teach, how I preach, or how I lead. You, you judge my commitment to the gospel by how much I give financially. Is it proportional? Because at the end of the day, my money goes to the things that I value. And the things that you value in your life today, you're already giving your resources to. And so the idea for us today is, is, is that God already knows where our heart is at. He already knows. The biggest step for us today is to realize it for ourselves. And to confront the brutal facts today of where our heart is at. Now, I get people question this all the time. And you know what? Um, I, what about to nonprofit organizations? Should I be giving to them? And that's wonderful if you're giving to nonprofits. But at the same time, not to the ne neglect of giving to God's church. God's church, scripturally, biblically, is the priority. And so, you know, if we're going to give to nonprofits, that's wonderful. I encourage you to do that but not to, to the neglect of, of God's church. So we give to God's church first, and then grace giving is over and above that. Now we're giving to other organizations. I, I've had people say, well, I take that percentage that, that we've committed, and we take a little bit of that, and we give to the church, we take a little bit and give to this place, we give a little bit to this place. And it's like, that's just not smart. It's not wise biblical stewardship. God's very clear. It, it, it comes to God's church, and then out of that, together, we're able to do more um, uh, consistently aligned around God's vision as we give to the local 
church. And so I heard one guy actually tell me one time, you know, I, my tithe is my time. I come and I serve. I'm like, well, that's great. That's a great use of your time. It's a, it's, it's a stewardship idea of your time, but that certainly does not count for our financial stewardship. And so I would encourage you to think through strategically and sacrificially what your giving actually looks like. My heart will follow my stuff. Now, one day as a believer, you know, we know this to be true. We, we read this in scripture that we're going to stand before Jesus one day when our life is over and we're going to give an account um, by the manner in which we lived our life. And just imagine that day for a minute. You're not going to stand before Jesus and you're not going to say, well, I really just gave too much away. You know, I just, daggone it, I was so stinking generous. I should have just spent more on me. <laughs> you're not going to say that, are you? In fact, I think the exact opposite is going to be true for many of us. We'll stand before Jesus and we'll say, I should have given away more. I should have used it more. I, I, I should have been more generous. I, I should have been more sacrificial. Last year, as I mentioned, we gave the 90-day challenge and several people took this challenge and we caught up with two families that, that committed at that time, and then they continued to give um, uh, over the last year. And so we caught up with them, and, and we asked them a few questions about how it was going and, 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 and why they were giving, and, and uh, we captured it on video, and I think we're good to show this. All right, let's go ahead and, and, and watch this and see a little bit of their story. It was a huge stretch in the beginning uh, to commit to that, but in reality, it's really just a natural function that should be happening. So it was a conscious decision to do a natural function. Over the course of the next week or so, we talked about it and prayed about it and both decided together that it was something that we needed to do. Well, the reason we continue to give is because we are seeing uh, the fruits. I mean, there's so many things out in the world that that wants your money for this, that, and the other thing, why not put it towards something that you're here for? We're a partner of this church, and we trust this church, and we trust God. We feel led to give uh, out of our joy because we enjoy seeing our kids get so excited about church. Also seeing the new church being built, that's exciting. Watching the church grow and seeing people that you know that haven't even been coming to church, coming and showing up on Sunday, and you get to park them in the parking lot, and you're like, oh, this is awesome. If I'm going to trust him with my whole life and my future after my death and then with him, um, I surely should be able to trust him with 10%. On paper, you can't figure it out. It's, it's just one of those things that it's like one of the mysteries of God. You know, every month we seem to make it, and all the bills seem to get paid, but we don't know how. And the only thing we can attribute that to is that God is providing for us. And that's just what it boils down to. I say to those uh, that are skeptical about what happens to the money, come volunteer your time. Get involved with the kids. Get involved with any of these. There's so many different things the church does that people can find a place to get involved in and tie in and then see what's happening. And A, you'll, you'll get to see where your money's being spent. You'll get to spend time with people like-minded and you'll get to make friends and you'll have fun. We were so happy to tithe the more we got involved with the church. And when we, they did the 90 day challenge, I was so happy for Trent to say that because I think these people maybe that haven't been tithing and all the different things he said Sunday, different reasons that people do or don't, um, if they do and give it 90 days, I think they will see a blessing in those 90 days. 
I love his comment there when he says, you know, if I'm going to trust God with my eternal destiny, with, with my life after death, how, I mean, how can I not trust him with 10% of what he's given to me? It's a, a strong point. And, and, and I think to, to kind of wrap up this morning, a book from Watchman Nee, a church leader in the 1900s, early 1900s, made this comment in, in one of his books. He said, hold lightly what you value greatly because it isn't yours anyway. Hold lightly what you value greatly because it isn't yours anyway. He goes on to say that as uh, our relationship with God uh, grows, it's like we are these children, you know, with open arms and and palms extended. God, give me, bless me. And, And he, in fact, does. I mean, he gives us a life. He gives us breath. He gives us salvation. He may give you a family, he may give you children, he may give you a career and, 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 and recognition and success. And he gives us all these wonderful things and so much so that our arms are loaded down and filled with all of these great things. And then God comes to us and he says, my child, ex- extend your hand to me, take me by the hand. I want a relationship with you. And our hands are so full, we look to God and Many of us say, well, God, I've got all these things in my hands I can't. And he says, oh, but, but I am the author of life. I am the giver of all good gifts. Uh, uh, you must let them go and, and, and take me by the hand. And too many of us look to God with our hands full with all these wonderful things. And without trusting him, we say, I'm sorry, God, but I cannot give up all of these things and walk with you. And with his hand extended, he says, but you must. See, the reality is some of us in the room have all of these wonderful gifts that God has given to us. We haven't extended our hand to him because we want to be in control of everything. And maybe today through this series, God has reshaped your attitude. He's reshaped your heart with this concept of being a good steward financially and you're willing to lay those things down at the foot of the cross and trust God for the first time with your resources. I want to encourage you to look in your chair. You should have, should have a card in your chair. Would you take that and would you go ahead and take a moment to fill that out if you haven't filled it out? I want to ask everybody to make this challenge and take this challenge with me today. Just a little bit of information here. And there's a few boxes on the back. The first box says that I'm going to commit to start Uh, giving 10%. If that's you today and you haven't been and you're going to make that commitment, I encourage you to check that first box. And then the second box says, I'm currently giving a tithe of my income. And so if you're doing that, you're going to continue to do that. We praise God for you. As I mentioned last week, God is using you in an incredible way here at this church. The next box says, I Man, not only am I giving 10%, but I plan to give over and above that uh, towards invest and, 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 and continue to give over, you know, what my 10% is. And, and, and so maybe you've been giving that 10%, but you're ready to take that next step. You're ready to develop into that grace giver and, 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 and go further with that. And then the last box says, I'm going to attend financial peace. And so this is kind of like your last chance. Um, if you missed last week, no big deal. Uh, this week is really when they get into the meat of the study. And, and I tell people all the time, financial peace is not for people who are screwed up financially. It's for people that want to develop into a grace giver. And so if, 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 if that's your heart and you want to develop in that area, 
There's going to be a lot of resources, a lot of things that are going to help you financially in that course. You can still register today. Just check that box. Just a minute, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask our ushers to move, and, and they're going to pass the, the baskets. I want to encourage you to take your commitment, take your card, put it in the basket. And this is also our regular time of giving. And so if you plan to give today, you can place that in the offering baskets now. We're going we're gonna to respond to the Word of God today and worship by giving, and then we're going to respond to Him with song. James and the guys are going to come back out and lead us in a couple of songs today. Let's pray together. Our ushers can go ahead and move and get into position. Lord Jesus, we come before you today, and I pray that our hearts and our attitudes have, in fact, been reshaped. And we have been conformed into the image of Christ and the way that we think. Lord, I'm grateful that you don't ask us for a set amount. You just ask us for proportion. And your first and foremost commitment is, is that our heart be committed to the gospel. So Lord, move us in that direction today. Pray, God, that you would bless us as we make big decisions and make commitments and flesh things out on a practical level in our finances. Lord, bless us in an incredible way. And I pray that the resources that we commit and give would continue to change lives. And even on a greater scale, we would see more life change happen in and through our church. Lord, we praise you. We love you. And we are committed to you today. For it's in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.